0: We'll turn to Exodus, chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, He shall also bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. She does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her and if he has betrothed her to his son he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters if he takes another wife he shall not diminish her food her clothing and her marriage rights and if he does not do these three for her then she shall go out free without paying money. In the context of the ancient world where people would have slaves and have servants, God's heart of love and His provision for the otherwise prone to oppression is seen clearly. He cares for the people, the family. Even if the status is that of a slave or a servant, the Lord brings dignity. To them as human beings first. In the ancient world, especially, this was unheard of, much as females were also undervalued. God gives dignity to every person male or female perhaps someone reading this ancient literature ancient writing and book of Exodus maybe in some big library in some great city either searching for the truth or quote-unquote, accidentally lighting upon the truth while perusing ancient literature, reading about the various societies in the pagan world. Perhaps they would become believers in the living God just by reading something like Exodus 21, 1-11 to see that this must be the truth. You had slavery everywhere at that time and you had the mistreatment of slaves and you had all kinds of prejudice. You see a God who defends the rights of the oppressed and he brings dignity to every human being, even within this law. And he says that the value that he places on a male or female is not to be taken away by anyone at any time, anywhere. How often people can look down upon others because they don't have the same status, quote unquote, as themselves, Or their acquaintances. I remember being in India some 20 years ago, having the opportunity to preach to a rather wealthy family. All the relatives were gathered there and had mentioned the importance of heeding one's conscience, and as an example, mentioned of the so-called aristocrats, of the wealthy people, aristocrats, would instantly despise those who don't have, those who are perhaps homeless. As the family was rearranging things here, in our house, we came across a poster that was made for one of my classes while doing the masters in education, 14, 15 years ago, and it was a simple poster, but it was to bring awareness to the issues, social issues, and one of them included homelessness. And so there was a collage of sorts made, and among the pictures were. Two individuals, unnamed, perhaps faceless among a crowd. And the faces were cut out from the picture and put on this poster to show the plight of those people, to show the value of those people. And to show how they can be ignored and oppressed, all too often we can look at people from the outside and treat them a certain way because they don't fit the profile of what we would consider worthy of our attention, much less friendship. We'll see in the law, the God. Loves human beings. God is the great emancipator. And as the psalmist says, it takes us from the dunghill to be seated with the princess of his people. Paul calls himself a bond slave, a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ, as does James and others. Unwilling to leave the master, because in spiritual matters, in terms of eternity, Jesus owns us. As we say twice, once because he made us second, because he redeemed us back to himself. And Paul, while he's a prisoner of Rome, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm forever indebted to him. I love him more than even my own life. In the case of eternity, in the case of our relationship with the Lord, we're not only His willing slaves and prisoners, we are His children. We are His soldiers. And we have the privilege to call Him Abba, Father. As we read the law in the Old Testament, we will see, and as much as this section ends with a female slave who has been betrothed to the son of the master, she's afforded by the Lord dignified rights as a wife. So she have everything that she needs commensurate with the status of a wife. is not to be despised because someone new, or quote unquote, free has come on the scene to be another wife to the son-in-law. Things are unheard of. Quite contrary, in many respects, Although the giving of a code of conduct was common during the time of Moses and before that in the ancient world, for society, the specific rights, the value given to the people from the living God is seen in stark contrast to other gods and other religions. Quite recently, I was led by the Lord to read a piece of literature and then see a a documentary of sorts for a brief time of how, as late as, or as recent as a mere eight or nine years ago, about a decade The statistics from governmental and human rights sources in India were that 5 million female children go missing in India every year. And this was from a PhD missionary. And another female PhD or MD was rallying the people in the public setting, in a demonstration, a lobbying effort. With passion, she was crying into the microphone to all who would listen, including and especially the political leaders, that in a relatively short time, 50 million female children were put to death in India because they were unwanted. There was a dowry system in which the parents of the female, the girl, would have to pay a certain amount and increase that amount if they would like to have a better bridegroom for their daughter. And because of the image and the status saving face in a shame oriented culture they would promise dowry which they couldn't afford many times and the custom was to take vengeance on the family by destroying the wife ruthless cold satanic practice Giving dignity to the very husband that's supposed to love his wife to turn on her to destroy because of some evil custom. Now, it's said that the dowry can be seen as part of the arrangement to supply. The daughter and the new husband for their needs as part of the bargain or the pact between the two families, as an in Indian culture, typically it's truly a marriage of families more than the individual or just as much as the individuals. But the prospect of having to provide for a Female baby to be married in a respectable manner involving a certain amount of money caused many people to see a baby girl as bad luck. There are other atrocious. Practices in which they would literally suffocate the infant, female infant child. The families to destroy. So they won't have the burden. As recent as a decade ago, it was said that five million of these young girl babies disappear from India. Five million from the Indian population. What can cause a people? Now it's not the practice of course in Christian societies. At least those who are born again and don't have a mix of some pagan culture with their so-called religiosity. But what could cause a culture which otherwise is so rich and uh, filled with Arts and sciences, and the diligence, and work ethic, and national pride, with ancient language and colorful customs, and with an influence regarding meditation and other aspects of spirituality, so-called, that are propagated all through the globe. What can cause them to be so brutal to innocent children? Babies. And uh, those who are able to have ultrasounds are told quite plainly by the technologists and physicians in many places in India to go ahead and destroy the child. You don't want bad luck in your family, do you? Not in all places, but much of this atrocity continues. We look across the ocean, come to the United States, perhaps the most technologically advanced nation in the world, Male and female children are killed. As the statistic goes, more than the casualties in our famous wars are the casualties in clinics where human children are butchered, literally, and the public testimony in congressional hearings and other places of prominence is from the people who do such things among them some who have repented medical experts have said make no mistake about it you're literally tearing a human being limb from limb and the hardest part is to joke is to get the head of my God, fully formed human being within the womb. Not only a devaluation of human life with respect to gender, but human life in general, and that too the most innocent of the population. The little darlings that people love to adore babies and uh, they relegate the babies and the adorableness to pets to mere animals with an eternal difference between the two animals and human babies but they may as well keep both of them in the same group because, even worse, they're able to tear that human child, which after all is a living human being, just on the other side of the wall of mother's abdomen. Kin to saying that if a person is inside my house, that person is a human being but if the person is standing outside of my door, that person is no longer a human being and anything goes. You can kill that person. It doesn't make a difference to me because after all, that's not a human being. It's not within my vicinity and I don't value people who are on the outside of my house as much as I do the ones inside and the difference in valuation is an eternal difference, not merely because of familial ties. It has to do with basic human dignity that should be afforded to every human being. Murder. God is against such things. We see the treatment that He enforces way back in Exodus in such a context as a pagan, even culture, that they were surrounded by, and uh, perhaps the norm of having slavery. And the slavery, in this case, not unlike or too far removed from having a maid in some respects. But still, you see the heart of God. And later on, we'll see how God says, in dealing with Hebrew brethren, that if someone owes someone and cannot pay, that the brother to whom the payment is due should not take his Hebrew brother's blanket. And the Lord's argumentation for that is how can he sleep at night and protect him from the cold if he doesn't have a blanket, if you take the blanket from him. That's just the heart of God. Within the human framework of justice, see God's tremendous heart of compassion. We continue with verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Whoever, if he did not premeditate this murder or this death, but it was God who happened to deliver that person into his hand, God said, I'll appoint a place, a refuge city where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Is he a God of justice and a God of mercy? Who's perfect like the Almighty God? Every word of God is flawless. He's perfect in all his ways. As the Lord Jesus told his detractors and his opponents, who came to him and said, Moses gave this provision that if a man is not pleased with his wife, let him give her a bill of divorcement and get her out of there. The Lord said, but it was not so from the beginning. God created them male and female. He always meant for a marriage relationship to be between one man and one woman how far we've come today public display of shameless behavior to say that a man and man can be in a marriage relationship and a woman and woman and there are those who would say you can have a man and woman as your spouse at the same time and why not? What is with the institution of marriage? What does it mean? After all, if I love the person, what difference does it make? A piece of paper is going to validate our deep love for one another? Common sense itself would show that a commitment that is on record publicly can be leveraged against one who violates that relationship and at the same time gives respect and dignity to that relationship because everyone knows who that spouse belongs to, and the rights that are accorded with such a relationship. The Lord brings that to bear upon the people who would come to find fault with him and trick him. Because of the hardness of your hearts, he said, Moses allowed that. That's not the case from the beginning. That's not God's perfect will. And so, when we read the laws here, see, God is working within a cultural framework and He will bring them out as the law pointed to Christ. God restores, even while He was on the earth, through the doctrine concerning the heart of God on every matter that was discussed and preached about. And the Apostle Paul picks up further on the marriage relationship and he speaks in this language that the Lord didn't tell me this directly, but I'm telling you, and I too have the Spirit of God. In other words, there are matters in which the Lord did not discuss explicitly. But this is the heart of God and this is the Spirit of God teaching you through me the apostle said regarding separation and divorce and remarriage and so we are called to look at the text here and not to jump to conclusions without considering the rest of the revelation of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit when we read many people have forfeited eternal life and run from God because the devil has been their ready tutor while they read the scriptures. And inasmuch as the parable says uh, the devil like a bird comes and takes to seed; the word lest it should produce. So the devil would come and read the Bible with us and begin to Instill suspicion against the living God just as He did in the Garden of Eden. And it may begin with something that is seemingly innocent. I don't understand why God would say this. Why? I don't know why God would do such a thing. It it just bothers me. We must know that that sentiment can quickly turn to and all out reproach, false charge against the Holy God of being unjust because of our not only limitation in our human minds but the rejection of the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and the rest of the counsel of God to shed light on that particular issue about which we may get hung up. And the devil is there only too conveniently Strategically placed of his own volition to see who he can catch to turn against God, snatch that soul forever. May the Lord help us to read with great humility, always with the premise laid out as a foundation God is perfect, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, nothing, not even one spot. Even the sun, this tremendously powerful orb of fire in the universe has these dark spots but not so with the living God. Hallelujah. He's perfect in all his ways and the one who would walk with him would know him better and better. And uh, We would adore Him more and more. Not because it's a commandment only to love the Lord, but because He is lovable. He's awesome in love. Who rescued you and me from death? Who gave us life? You and I were lost in sin. Many evil thoughts, if the truth be told, if God can bring everything out on the carpet, so to speak, of the kind of thoughts we have thought since our youth, how ugly it would be in the courtroom of heaven to stand there and see the movie played. Can you believe I thought those things? Wicked imagination. God had mercy upon us. Is he not the most loving judge ever? And the judge becomes our father and adopts us into his family and gives us a royal banquet and says to us further, I have unlimited treasure to give you throughout eternity. That's how close you are to me. God's the God of justice and mercy. And for the man who kills someone accidentally, God says, he should not be killed. But the one who does it by treachery, premeditating murder, kill him, God says. Take him away from an altar. And he who strikes his father, his mother, shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. God established it right from the beginning. Don't come to my altar. Don't consider yourself part of my new covenant people or this people who I have made this fresh covenant unlike with any other nation on the face of the earth. And bring perversion and violence and wickedness. He said, I'm warning you right from the beginning. Don't think you can kidnap someone and sell that person, or hold that person hostage, you'll be killed. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about raising your hand against your father or your mother to hit them, or to rebel against them, as we'll see l- later. Don't think you can kill someone, and um, wiggle your way out of the sentence In this court of law. That is presided by me. As a judge. I know every heart. And every thought. I don't need any evidence. And he who curses his father. Or his mother shall surely be put to death. There's no room for disorder. Or satanic behavior in God's kingdom. And so it's carried on to the new covenant. God says. Don't engage in these things. Because. Because. You're not under the law. doesn't mean that you're free from the moral law. As we've said before, from reading the scriptures themselves, that the standard that the Lord Jesus calls us to as the truly new covenant people through the blood of Jesus, far higher standard than the law at Sinai in many ways. To the point where the Lord said in Matthew 5, You've heard about murder, and you've heard about the punishment, capital punishment. But I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you dare call him empty-headed fool. You call him an idiot. You're in danger of the council, in danger of hellfire. You've heard that it was said, don't sleep around, loosely paraphrasing what the Lord said in Matthew 5. Don't commit adultery. If you do, you'll be put to death. But I'm telling you, if you look at a woman to desire her who does not belong to you, you're headed for destruction, ultimate destruction in hell. You better save yourself from falling into that trap by having a strict watch over your body your senses and your will your imagination what you give your eyes to your ears to whatever fuels that hellfire in your chest in your heart don't fall for it it's better to lose your right hand than to have both hands and go to hell it's better to have one hand and make it to heaven Better to have one eye and make it to heaven than to have both eyes and go straight to hell. Whatever seems to be your forte and whatever is your great delight in life, if it leads you to sin, you must take measures to avoid sin at all costs so your soul can be saved. And it's not to say that Christians are in bondage that they have to cut off their hands and take off their eyes and deal with sin in that way as if that's the true mortification. But it's an expression and a picture of the spiritual vengeance that we should have against this thing called sin that seeks to bait us and snare us and destroy our souls. It's a figure of speech to teach us to spare nothing when it comes to protecting your soul from rebelling against the Holy God. He took the law and he explained it. Because people were taking the law and saying, well, Moses made a provision they can can commit adultery and give a bill of divorcement and They can do whatever they please. You see, because I'm looking at the technicality of what was written and failing to understand the heart of God. Verse 18, If men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He should only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. How beautifully the Lord lays out justice here, the provision for the one who has been injured. This legal document, albeit founded in theocracy, God leading this government that he's setting up for the people. Can you find any more eloquent treatment of a human being's God-given value and dignity? When we take time to read the Scriptures and always when we read the scriptures, we want to be reading it with the help of the Holy Ghost. Looking for Him to teach us. Putting away every other preconceived notion. Every charge, foolish charge against God, they may come from even commentators who are supposed to be Christian theologians. Simply come like a child and say, Father, teach me. And also, to look for the heart of God the spirit and not just the letter of the law. You will see. Love like we've never known it before. All through the scriptures. It's a revelation of the holy God. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he should not be punished, for he is as properly we may read this and think it's rather harsh where's the value here but we can't take and isolate a verse or two without looking at the rest of the chapter, rest of the book rest of the Pentateuch rest of the Old Testament rest of the Bible including the New Testament as we continue with the Lord, the Lord will show us. For what reason he said certain things? Not everything is apparent, as we've heard in the preaching, Pastor, was alluded to this, and preached this. Certain things are not fully explained to the satisfaction of human curiosity for the reader who's not interested in knowing the heart of God, who's not interested in worshipping God as God, but comes to nitpick with the finiteness of a small human brain. You know, the a deep prejudice against God to find fault with God and twist the scriptures. The Apostle Peter said these are perverted people. But anytime we come to a so-called difficulty in the Bible, we need to operate The way that's been described. With a non-negotiable premise of foundation. That God is perfect. He's full of love and full of light. Therefore, if there's something I don't understand about him or his acts. Or his law. The fault is with me. I'm ignorant. Maybe even prejudiced. Perhaps I'm being led on by that evil spirit. To foolishly charge God. I need to get closer to him and he will explain more. Abraham had no problem with God whatsoever. He recognized because he recognized that the problem was always with him and God was a problem solver. The closer he walked with the Lord, the more eternal bliss he experienced on this side of eternity way before he got to heaven. How wonderful our God is. I continue to read if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely yet no harm follows he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay as the judges determined. but if any harm follows then you shall give him life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant, And destroys it. He shall let him go free. For the sake of Zion. God is. Telling them. As they are just. Assembling themselves. Becoming a nation. Every act. And every motivation. You better be careful. Not only am I watching. I will recompense to you. According to your true colors how you treat people and if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant he should let him go free for the sake of his tooth, what a loss to that person who no longer has the services of this perhaps industrious human capital If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, verse 28 of Exodus 21, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and it's been made known to his owner and he has not kept it confined, he can take action. It's like some people who behave as animals or worse than animals They will allow their children to go and vandalize a store or someone's property and just watch and walk haughtily and softly and slowly and as if to show that they're responsible. Just say, here, come here, son. Come here, don't touch that. No feeling that it's someone else's property. That it's a crime. But just a little mild rebuke and what does the child do? takes one good look at the parent's face and sees clearly my parent doesn't care what I do to someone else's property he or she is just saying that because they want to cover all bases and look good as if they're responsible we're called to control our children not only to behave properly and not destroy our own property and our home With other people's property. There's a wicked dichotomy, separation and a duality, hypocrisy in the heart of many people who by their actions and their mannerisms reveal clearly they could care less what happens to someone else's property. And if their child the children are responsible for that as long as they don't get caught and as long as they don't do too much of damage you think who would ever do that oh there are human beings who are worse than animals they forfeit that conscience the dignity of being a protector of society and at least a basic neighbor Others. See a child, even a little child, go and deface someone's property and take it so lightly and casually and go on their merry way. God says concerning the animal, this ox that has been behaving badly and dangerously and the owner has been called to take action but he didn't do such a thing and ended up killing a man or a woman the ox shall be stoned put it to death and the owner shall be put to death that's how seriously God takes it And for those who would say, well, thank God I'm not under the law. May we never think that God is not watching and He will hold us to a higher standard, especially if we call ourselves Christians. How carefully and lovingly and holily we should walk in society. We're under a higher law. We're under the watchful eyes of the faithful judge who without respect of persons will deal to everyone according to their works. Verse thirty, if there is imposed on him a sum of money that then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Whether he has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to his this judgment it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master thirty shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. Again, we need to continue with God so that we can understand the context. If there's any problem within ourselves in failing to understand that God hasn't changed, He's still perfect. And if we can't understand a portion of His Word, we need to get closer to Him so He can give us understanding. And we will see. He's still perfect. And if a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it. Everyday issues. God is so intimately concerned about our lives and everyday issues. He's concerned about justice. We see that very clearly over here. Whoever says that, where was God when this injustice happened to this person or this people? Where was God? I don't believe in God. They haven't read the scriptures. They don't know the heart of God. They don't want to take responsibility, human responsibility, for so much of the evil that happens to that same human being or that same people. And where justice needs to be served, God's justice is being stored up with wrath against the people who do wrong against anyone. And if a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good and It says further, he shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it. The owner loses the value, ultimately, of having that animal to labor. And produce far more, perhaps, than that money could ever provide for. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in times past and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own. We begin to see how very detailed the law is and how it deals with as we continue to read every aspect of their civil moral lives. A true theocracy. God is giving the law and he's laying out and laying down in no uncertain terms the punishments that are due to people who violate His law. Mainly, you see, by violating the rights of the neighbor, How concerned God is, that everyone should live in harmony. Human laws are far inferior to God's laws, even within the giving of the Lord Sinai. The explanation that the Lord Jesus gives of the heart of God and The heart of the law draws us even closer to real harmony between ourselves and the Christian community, first and foremost, to care. How many Christians are callous, as we mentioned, something we'll never forget when Samuel was a little boy, the autism was just getting discovered by his pediatrician and he just ran in an assembly of people in a church building, a rather big enterprise there, and uh, the child went missing all of a sudden. He took off in a crowd of people in a huge facility. And we were visiting that church, and we are frantic, and we are asking the people who were assembled having conversation, these Christian people. And they took one good look at us, and they sympathized with us seemingly for a moment, but no one dared to come and help search for the child. They continued with their conversation and their tea. And what happened? We went searching, and uh, his siblings went searching in the bathrooms and different rooms looking for the child. And finally we recovered him. They went searching. Are the children, smaller than Samuel. We can never forget. Where is the care and concern? Was it prejudice? Because we were visitors and not part of the family there in the church? Or was it because of our skin color? Was it because we were rather soft-spoken and not imposing in our physical attributes? Was it because we didn't look wealthy enough? God only knows, but they didn't budge. How unconscionable. When you see parents coming, regardless of how they appear and where they come from, in your midst, especially in the Christian community, after a service, no less, on Sunday, the parents are searching frantically for their child who's not well. In a sea of people. to not move to help God is very concerned about such things we need to look at our hearts and see how much we really care about our neighbor whether we judge people even our own brothers and sisters as James warns don't do that you're in danger of judgment be careful judgment from God the love that we should have can only be found in us if we understand that the human heart is indeed deceitful above all things and desperately wicked when it doesn't have the light of God's word and the conscience is not illuminated by the Holy Spirit. all oh, people can seem very respectable and very helpful to certain people. And if we should take a snapshot shot of a person at work or in a family gathering, or in the neighborhood, there's a give and take, you see. And people often strategically premeditate on who they will help and who they will not help because of the benefits or lack thereof. And the value they assigned to people based on their so-called status in society or in their neighborhood, in their family, by their skin color. There's a problem in the New Testament where the Grecian widows were discriminated against. God said it right the problem continues today where people even in the same general culture and population of a country such as where I come from where the caste system is still alive to ruin spiritual growth basic spirituality period deep-rooted prejudices. These things must dissolve. They must be destroyed in the heart of a believer. At a time when it was not popular, people like John Wesley, a few centuries back, said slavery is against the will of God. Way before Abraham Lincoln ever declared his Emancipation Proclamation William Wilberforce and others championed this cause when it was not popular they're under threat why? real Christianity was found in their hearts before God as I mentioned well if that's wrong then why is it spoken of as being okay here in Exodus well we need to get closer to God to understand why never jump to conclusions never let the devil be your tutor when you read the scriptures. And be careful of any charge level against God. You know the origin of that. But if we would walk with God, like Abraham, become a friend of God, God becomes a friend. He will tell us as Jesus said. As a friend reveals to a friend. he understands nature. But for us, as we close this morning, let us remember and conclude with Micah chapter 6 verse 8 what does the Lord your God require of you? what does he want from you? but to do justice not just justice but to love mercy not just to do justice and try to be merciful and to walk humbly with your God And we'll be all right in the sight of God, the ultimate judge, the supreme judge of the supreme court in all the universe. And we'll be commended because we loved like He loved. And we refuse the cultural, traditional, racist incongruities in our own hearts and consciences. going directly against the heart of God we have put that to death and nobody can ever pull us back into that pit and mire of judging anyone in a manner that is evil in the sight of God by their skin color by their economic status by their particular cultural background by their mannerisms, but to afford everyone that human dignity they deserve, and to remember we're dust before God. He's given a piece of dust value, and that too, dirt. He says as much speaking to the prophet later on. He said, I found you polluted in your own blood. You're just lying there, not only homeless an orphaned, discarded and disgusting. That's what God said. He said, I picked you up and I washed you. Isn't it true? If one would recognize, as Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, not because he willfully transgressed against God, but because he recognized how holy God is and how unholy I am and he loved me and he saved me. What did I ever have going for me? But the value with which he created me was restored to me through the blood of Jesus Christ. I should never forget where I came from, what God did for me. And remember to treat others with love and respect and gentleness. And if I should be persuaded otherwise and fall into error in that regard, swiftly beat my chest, as the sinner did, the publican in the temple, and said, Lord, I have to get this straight first. Never mind the other needs and things I need to get done. All is not well with this citizen of heaven to get that right to have a heart that's right will cause us to enjoy life to the full because the abundant life is predicated on the love of God nothing more nothing less and it gives us freedom and to walk around without being haunted by my sins and evil works but to know that it's been taken care of by the death of the one who suffered the wounds on his head, on his hands, on his feet, on his side, his entire body wracking with pain, struggling to breathe so that I can breathe and live through Jesus Christ, who was raised on the third day for my justification. Because of him, I can live free. I can share the love of God. And it begins Where? As we always say, the truth is at home. There's a problem in your family, in your relationships. God says you must get it right. Don't come even offer any offering to me on the altar. But the wonderful thing is, <clears throat> way before we go to set that right in our human dealings, We're privileged to go to the altar of God with true penitence and say, Lord, I haven't been just in this matter. I have not been just according to your justice. Maybe just in my own eyes and just in the eyes of others, even other so-called Christians, but before you, Lord, it's a sin. I've not treated this person right. And their family, even spiritual family, God help me. to repent and help me to go further not just be a person of justice but to show mercy to walk in humility you'll see the heart of God unfolding more and more as we go through Exodus the rest of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the conviction will Become so much greater and deeper. This is the living God. These words are the words of the living God. And we will treasure our relationship with God. Our fellowship with God. And the word of God. And the privilege to live like Christ in this world. To truly walk in the light as He is in the light. The light from heaven. We'll be able to not fall into ignominy but to end life with great nobility before God. I must say this. The Lord again directed me to read the untimely and tragic demise of a leader of perhaps the leading voice for the persecuted church for many years and he died some 9 or 10 years ago I believe and he had suffered in prison in Cuba for doing what? taking the scriptures into that country at that time under the Castro regime severely oppressing Christians and this American went in there risking his life and his freedom to take the scriptures and by all accounts he really loved God and really laid down his life so that the persecuted church and people who don't know God can get the holy word which was rare to be had in those situations and he ended up with a charge years later as a leader of the organization of uh, molesting a child. The whole community was shocked, and the worldwide community, especially of believers. How could this be? A man that saw so on fire for God, and just when the charges were brought against him, the beginning of the proceedings. He left the suicide note and he perished from the face of the earth and in eternity. The Lord said, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. You plunged into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones that belong to me. And uh, it's been said that he couldn't take the consequences of fallout in ministry and for his family. And he thought he'll exit. How tragic and horrific to be able to forfeit everlasting life. Obviously, the problem didn't happen overnight was brewing for some time. As I read some other pieces of writing by those who worked there, God only knows the whole truth, but it seemed credible enough as well as the testimony of Richard Wombrand's son concerning the shady occurrences in this massive Organization that represented the face of the persecuted church worldwide. That the internet technician and the supervisor of their computer systems back then showed a visitor how certain of the heads of departments in that huge organization with a building valued at $28 million were found by this uh, security man to frequent abominable websites while doing the work of Christ there's an open door somewhere an evil doctrine came in a perversion that it's okay it's a little bit here and there after all I don't have this relationship with my wife anymore we're getting older and I still have the young blood in me and uh, uh, didn't God say don't touch you can look but don't touch and a total perversion of the truth and he fell. Not unlike another world-renowned evangelist quite recently. What happened? How did it happen? How can you go on planes and go through dangerous territory for the sake of the gospel and have the thrill of being able to deliver the word of God and become a mouthpiece of God and all of a sudden this is exposed because they did not do justly they did not love mercy they didn't walk humbly with God there was no fear of God somehow whatever fear of God they had went out the door and like Samson they thought I'll go out as other times and I'll be okay and they got slaughtered by the devil who had the last laugh horrible loss of souls and that two souls that were doing so good did so much good for God. And this pernicious doctrine of false eternal security will cause a person to presume upon God's grace until they fall into that eternal pit and lake of fire while they sin egregiously against Him day by day, thinking that it's hidden from the eyes of God. How foolish. May the Lord help us to know that every time we read scripture, we must read it with the fear of God, knowing that we have only two paths to take. One is to become casual and complacent. The other is to be on our knees, if not physically, at least in our hearts, to tremble. Because God said as much. This will be the final scripture for this morning. We turn to the book of Isaiah. Toward the very end of this magnificent book that's been said to be a parallel of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And God says this, and I read from the New Living Translation, Isaiah 66, the final chapter, Verse 1, perhaps somebody else would like to read it. These powerful words of the living God. Isaiah 66. Verse. Isaiah 66,
1: verse 1 to 3. Okay. Can you hear me, Pastor? Yes. Go okay. Isaiah 66, verse 1 to 3. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word, but those who choose their own ways, Delighting in their detestable sins will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it is as though they had sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they had blessed an idol.
0: Amen. Amen. Most people don't want to hear this at all these days. They want to hear about blessing and joy, prophecy and my dreams and my calling. The first calling is to be holy. And that's why God speaks, because He looks at human hearts and continually people are complacent and God says don't be like the rest of the crowd or you perish with the crowd even the Christian crowd quote unquote be careful that you're walking right because if you don't walk right if you choose your own way and you do not tremble at my word it becomes casual table talk and coffee talk and all such disrespect afforded to the word of God and the conversation about God and his word there's no trembling, then that despising will open the door to cause us to think, you know, it's okay if I make this choice. The delusion sets in and God says, at that point, no matter how you look on the outside and how people feel about you, how great of a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist or a helper in the church or the community you seem to be, he said if you come to me with dirty heart, your offering will become dirty and despicable to the point of something I detest. like the blood of a pig when you bring your offering and tithes to me. This is what God says. Why? It's a serious issue before God. This hypocrisy. And he goes further. I said this will be the final scripture. Let's take it to mean the chapter as scripture. Someone else please read the rest of the chapter.
2: Pastor Isaiah 66, the entire chapter.
0: You can read it from verse 1 again. Yes. Let's listen to what the Holy Spirit says in this chapter.
2: Isaiah 66, NIV version. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they become into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. And whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pigs blood, and whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own way, and they delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and will bring on them with what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your own people who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Yet they will be put to shame. Hear that uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery? Says the Lord, do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery? Says your God, rejoice your Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice greatly with her. All you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breath. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants but his fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people and many will be those slain by the Lord. Those who consecrate and purify themselves to go into the garden Following one who is among those who eat the flesh of pigs, rats, and other unclean things, they will meet there end together with the one they follow, declares the Lord. And I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, and Lydians, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the, to the Lord horses, in chariots, and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. As the new heaven and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, So will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be a loathsome to all mankind. Praise
0: God. Praise the Lord. We see a number of things the Lord addresses here. Among them, he says, a nation that I'm going to bring forth, and how Jerusalem is still his chief joy, and that people should know that where God is, there's holiness and justice. And the people who despise him, he will call out, and he will punish. Who? The Apostle Peter says judgment must begin at the house of God. So, God is continually looking for the temple to be clean. He's not interested in anything else before that. And it's the joy of a person who calls himself or herself a Christian to align themselves with the heart of God to first check our own hearts. Truly, before God, in the privacy of of our own prayers say Lord search me I've I've looked myself first of all we have to do our part we can't say Lord search me search me and show me and cry at his altar without doing our homework we have the word of God we have our conscience we have the spirit of God to convict us we have to check am I doing something devious am I perverting justice am I really humble or am I proud Am I selective in where I will be humble and where I will not be humble? Do I tremble at God's word? Do I understand he's almighty God? And He commands me to be a certain way. He gives me grace to be a certain way for his glory. And I can't bring any excuse before God to say I'm only human God. Do you understand? That's why I'm adulterous and that's why I'm worldly and He says, well, if you're not right, you choose your own ways. When you come to me before my altar, you're all defiled before me. On the other hand, those who are excluded, similar to what the Lord said in Matthew 5, rejoice when they do that to you because you're standing for the truth, which is not as popular as we may think it is even in the church. How do we know that? Look at how sin is rampant in the church at large. Someone says, well, I I don't like to look at the negative side of it. Why don't we talk about the positive side? Even if it's a glimmer of hope, I really need to hear a positive message. Sadly, we'd have to cut out most of the content of the Bible if we want to look at things that way. We should be people who say, Lord, whatever you have to say, I want to hear it, I must hear it. Lord, there's a purpose behind it. Oh, if the Word of God can convict me by the Spirit of God to be more careful in how I walk with God and more complete in my obedience. What a blessing it will be to cause the heart of our Father to rejoice, to give us freedom, and to make us a blessing to the world. But we've jumped from Exodus chapter 21. We discussed Matthew 5. We went to the book of James and even Corinthians. And now we're at Isaiah 66 at the conclusion of this morning call today. And you see clearly... God wants us to make sure that we check our hearts and if our hearts are right before God by His standard of His word by the commendation that comes from Him not self-commendation but from the Spirit of God then we will be held up as trophies and uh, the workmanship of Christ for all eternity, and we who have loved Jerusalem, because God's throne is there, his temple, among his people at least, will be part of that new Jerusalem for sure. And in the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem excuse me, shall no thing defile enter. Is that Right? Am I supposed to be blameless and there's no other way I can enter into heaven? It's sad. In the commentary on this persecuted church's leader, this organization I should say, there are people who testify this man who committed suicide because he was under charges of pedophile Leah. He was such a good man and I witnessed firsthand this one missionary said of how Loving he was of God and of the people. And he concluded with this, whatever he ended up with and however he exited this life, we can be sure we'll see him in heaven because God will not forget all the good things he's done. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit says in the scriptures, In the book of Peter. That a person. Who leaves. Holiness. Is like a dog returning to the vomit. It would be better if they would never known the way of righteousness. Than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to his vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Now, can a pig or a dog inherit heaven? God's word is so clear, and people, because of their inability to come to terms with God's holiness and His justice, they find ways to pacify the horror of rebelling against the Holy God, defying to his face, and going after Satan's ways, and that too in the most disgusting adventures such as child molestation. And here's another missionary who's on the field with this leader, defending him as someone who just had a, a some demon, a bothering him at the end of his life and he couldn't take it and he bailed out of life but we can be sure we'll see him in heaven if that were the case then God and Satan have no difference may the Lord help us to be sober may the Lord help us to call out sin when we see it in our own hearts in our own hearts and go to God say Lord help me to destroy this before it destroys me However little it may appear in the beginning. Like a little cobra becomes a big cobra. A little bow constrictor. Until it chokes the life out of the person who toyed with it. Thought it they had it under control. At last they were quite deceived. And horribly surprised in the end. And then when we walk right, we can after having taken the log out of our own eyes, we have the ability and responsibility, like John the Baptist, like Jesus, like Moses, like Paul, to call out sin when we see it in the fellowship of the family of God. Never be terrified by the adversary who would work through people who say, well, you shouldn't judge, you know. You're not here to condemn anybody. You're not the judge. No, we're not judges. But we are representatives of the judge of the universe. And because we love, just like Jesus, we'll speak the truth to tell people, wake up because the destruction will come. A tsunami is on the way. Do not presume upon God's grace. Live like the devil. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're a visitor coming into the church. Stand is the same. God's grace makes us holy. His blood makes us holy. He says, all I'm asking you to do is not work up your own righteousness. Just stay with me. Abide in that. Don't defile it. If I've made you a lamb, don't go back to being a pig by your choices. Because if you insist on that, God says, i would have to give you up. You can't come into heaven like that. Is that hard? Is that wrong of God? A holy God who's given us... His life and given us His holy garments of righteousness to simply say, now hold on to it, okay? Just hold on to it. Oh God, I can't hold on to it because I'm human, you see. The moment I try to hold on to Your righteousness, Lord, it's just too hard and I fell again. And where can I go? What fellowship where I can be restored? Restoration is a wonderful thing. We all need restoration when we miss the mark. But let it not be a habit. Because God says clearly, If we entertain that as the way of the Christian life, it's a horrible self-deception. God didn't come to save us, to keep us in our sin, but to get us out of it. We're supposed to represent Him. So the law in Exodus 21 is a precursor and it is an exposition from God Himself, from Sinai, to show us that God minces no words when it comes to justice neither does he compromise ever because he cannot de- deny himself he cannot deny himself he calls us to be faithful all of these instructions and commands are not optional they're commands and to do God's will and to follow him is a delight and never a burden For the one who is sincere. Shall we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord for your true doctrine. For your holy doctrine. From your mouth Lord. From the scriptures. Oh it's a pure way. It's a pristine way Lord. The river of life coming from your throne. To wash us clean forever. A river that's teeming with life. Everlasting. The river of the Holy Spirit. Lord God to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you've called us prisoners of the Lord gladly so freer than anyone on the face of the planet because we've come under your wings oh my God I pray purges and help us to make a determination no none go with me in this way of truth till I will follow no turning back No turning back. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people, Lord, I pray. With a new determination to be careful, to obey God and to delight ourselves in you. And when we offer praises to you and pray to you during the day, it will be a delight to you. A sweet aroma. And not a stench. Rather, Lord, you'll invite us to come even closer so we can really hear your heartbeat and live a righteous life to do justice to love mercy and walk humbly with you and then go on like Daniel Lord at the end of days to receive our reward from your hands we love you and praise you Lord the truth in Jesus name the truth that sets us free the truth that sets us free because according to John eight thirty one, we have chosen to abide in you remain in you and not wander off into sin thank you Lord thank you Lord hallelujah thank you Lord you're raising up a remnant all over the globe the holy people redeemed of the Lord blameless chaste virgins espoused to Christ without spot or wrinkle or any such thing as we continue to press on you continue to change us to the perfect image of your glorious son Jesus Christ who's coming soon Even so, come Lord Jesus. We thank you, praise you. Amen.